Welcome to the CFB Dynasty Podcast with hosts Matt Knowles and Brian McElfish. Hey everybody, how you doing out there? This is the CFBDynasty.com podcast. As always, I'm your host, Matt Knowles. Along with me this week, you have Brian McElfresh and Mr. I'm Not Playing Hooky This Week, Doug Gravely. How you doing this week, guys? Good, man. I'm good, man. How are you doing? Doing good. So we have a great show for you today. If you've been watching for the last couple of weeks, we unveiled the top 25 quarterback rankings preseason for college fantasy football. We've unveiled the running backs for college fantasy football this week. The logical step is, you guessed it, offensive linemen is where we're going this week. Yes, sir. You ready for that, Doug? Oh, I'm ready, buddy. No, just kidding. We're doing <laughs> wide receivers. Wide receivers is where we're at this week. Um, very interesting. If you've watched some of the other shows this year, um, you know you can pretty much call out some of the guys that are going to be in the quarterbacks and running backs, wide receivers, a little bit more open as to who's going to make the list and uh, who's going to jump into the list as the season goes on. So it's always a fun, a fun show. But before we get to that, we're going to talk about a few things. Doug, I want you to give us your, your excused absence reason for why you were not here last week. Give us a good reason, Doug. Why were you not on the show last week, sir? The only reason I can give, man, is I was trying to get my sexy back. I had to get a haircut, dude. So what you're saying is you were on assignment trying to uncover some additional news articles for us. Um, oh, yeah. You should have heard mine and my barber's conversation about sports, bro. Specifically college football. It was an hour-long conversation of stuff she had no idea what I was talking about. An hour? So, Goodness. So we'll give you an excused absence for last week, but, but you better not do that again, sir. No problem. All right. So, uh, BMAC. How are you feeling today knowing that finally the thing you've been fighting for for a decade, the college fantasy football playoff, finally has a schedule to go to 12 teams? Brutal, man. I hate it. I hate it. It's happening. <laughs> I know it, but I hate it. Um, I just I think it's uh, unnecessary. Uh, the thing that I hate the most, the schedule came out. That's cool. It's going to happen all within a month span starting like the – you know, four days or so right before Christmas and then ending a week after uh, the the normal championship game. I love that they have the home games in the first round. I think that's going to be awesome. Um, the one thing I, I dislike the most being like a, a college football fan and, and love the, the home atmosphere is, is all the, the bowl sites are going to be the rest of the, the rest of the way so kind of is what it is but i guess as you get into the final the last couple rounds you definitely want that uh non-home field advantage which which is a significant advantage in college football so the thing that i hate the most is how they did the the six at-large bids only and six conference champions if they're not in the top four um oh that that just sucks to me it's brutal i know you like it but I think, uh, like, as go ahead, tell tell us what no, you think I, about it, Matt. I absolutely love it. So, if you if you've been a a longtime viewer of these podcasts, if you go back two years ago, myself and Brian and Zach Tao were doing some shows, and we talked about this very topic. Uh, we talked about how to fix college football, um, and I said even then, um, I really wanted to see him expand the playoff because I felt like if every other sport in the United States can do it. If every other sport in college uh, sports can do it, if every other division in college football can do it, why does division one, a college football not have a playoff? I feel like it's absolutely ludicrous to have a division where 80% of the schools go in every year, knowing it is physically impossible for them to even have a shot at a national championship. If you're somebody that's in the Mountain West, if you're somebody that's in the Sun Belt, um, yeah, you shouldn't have the easiest path to get there. You shouldn't be able to be like, oh, well, if I win all my games, just like in Alabama, if they win all their games, I should have the same chance. No, you should have the last spot in the in the playoff and have to have the, the toughest path to get to a national championship. But you should at least be able to feel like when you're going into recruiting that you've got some kind of chance because – 
how are you going to be University of South Florida or how are you going to be Texas State and and sell to a kid that hey the best the best chance you possibly have if you come to our school is to win our conference you'll never be able to do anything but, but win our conference you might have a chance to maybe go to a bowl game against uh, a power five school but you're never going to have a chance in your entire life to win a national championship and i like the fact Good that there's at least that really. small 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 sliver that's out there doug no, you're what you're rubbing not. your hands like, together doug doug looks doug looks like a egregious. maniacal doug looks like a maniacal maniacal uh mastermind over there what are you what are you waiting to say doug oh man i love the back and forth this stuff's great um it's an egregious the take only, the only thing that is weird to me um is you got like these teams that are independent, say Notre Dame, who has been there before, been a great team before, um, they're never going to win a conference. So, like, you know, they could have a great season and miss out because they're never going to be a conference winner or a division winner. So, well, they, they would get in, they would, but they'd get into those in those top six in the uh, actually, yeah. I'm just saying, yeah, it's just large. weird. That, but, yeah, I mean, there's there's some weird things about it, but I don't know. I mean, I guess we'll see how it goes and see. No, if it's man, it it just it just plain doesn't make any sense. Like, if you consider, um, so we're we're gonna talk about the NFL draft a little bit, talk about some Devi prospects and whatnot. Consider the draft and look uh, retroactively at it. You can see SEC, Big Ten dominate the draft. Um. A lot of people look at recruiting rankings and they think, oh, it's just uh, Big Ten homers or SEC homers. Well, the NFL draft's not going to lie. Like they're, it's, They kind of showcased that those rankings are pretty good statistically if you're a four-star or a five-star. Uh, Pate went on about that, uh, Josh Pate, like uh, I think Sunday. And it's a really good little clip. It kind of shows you how, how good the 247 – rankings are and, and on three and the different recruiting services, but there's no power five. Even between that, you're talking FAU, you're talking USF, like there's not even a, a power five. Like if you look at the Pac twelve and what they're gonna be when USC and UCLA are gone, um the Big Ten and the SEC schedules are not similar to what San Diego State, if they go into the Pac-12, are going to play. And it's certainly not what USF plays. And if, you've, if you're trying to pair up playoff teams, this is just not college basketball. So if you, if you looked at you know, a, a 15 seed playing against a two seed in the first round of, a, of the NCAA tournament, the spread, like the betting line, the spread was like six points on some of those matchups. I think five and a half on one of them, um, where it's like huge seeding difference. In college football, look what happened to TCU. Did we enjoy that game against Georgia? Uh, maybe for a quarter if you're a Georgia fan, and then you were probably bored. And that's what you'll get. That's what you'll get if you have you know FAU going to play at nine and three LSU or LSU going to FAU. It doesn't really matter. Like, um, I just think it's ludicrous the way that they value conference championships. I couldn't care less if you're a conference champion out of the PAC 12 and totally could be worthy, right? If it's say Oregon three years from now, and we've got the, the 12 team playoff could totally be worthy, uh, as a, as a champion also, you know, maybe they get upset by some whatever mid-level Pac-12 team, and they deserve a spot, really, because they because they beat San Diego State potentially because they beat you know the lower end Big 12 teams as compared to an SEC or uh, who's adding Texas and Oklahoma or a Big 12 who's adding. UCLA and USC, like I just, there's, there is no, it's not fair. It's not even, but it's also part of just college football. And if you want the best teams in the playoff, you've got to look at strength of schedule different and uh, definitely differently than we do now. And 
there should be more at large. Like, I think it's just stupid to have the top six or whatever conference champions. So the one thing I'll say, you know, it's, it's no, uh, it's no secret. I'm, I'm an ACC. I have ACC lean in football. The ACC right now is clearly the number three behind far and above the four below where the big 10 and the SEC are. So if you've got six conference champions and you've got six at large, and let's say the SEC has the best year they ever could. Are you telling me that having seven teams from the SEC versus these other five schools is not enough that, that you would want to have more? I mean, to me, I think that that's, it's pretty equitable. If, if a conference, if it's the big 10 or if it's uh, the SEC, or even if you have a year where say the teams in the ACC have a few teams that are up near the top, um, get more teams in i think that it's it's equitable because now it's not just an sec playoff it's it's a national championship it's not a southeastern playoff it's not a north playoff it's the whole country so the whole country needs to be able to have an opportunity to have some sort of representation in there i mean you look and at i think the, the outliers will though in the top 12 yeah. if if there are i just think it's lunacy to to lock in anyone from any conference um, I think that part is stupid. Like, I agree. There are the outliers, the Boise State special years. With enough outlarges, they'll be in the top 12. They'll get in. Um, but uh, I, I just think locking it in is the dumb part. Yeah, I think, I think that having six conference champions is good because that's probably the only place that you're going to get a team from the outside that's going to come in. I don't think you're going to ever see a – a non-group of five conference team that's going to be good enough to get into the top 12 and not be a conference champion. Um, so I think that that's the only way that they could assure that you're going to have one team from outside that area that's going to have a chance to be able to get into that playoff. And I think that that's last year would have been Tulane. Tulane would have been the number 12 team and Tulane won their bowl game. Who knows where Tulane goes? Tulane, could have been a better matchup than TCU. I'm not saying that they were, but at least if we had the playoff in uh, the playoff in in form last year, we would have been able to see if that was the case. And to me, one of the things that people love in sports, they love Cinderella's. If you're not somebody that is a fan of a power team, if you're not an Alabama fan, you're not an Ohio State fan, um, you love to see the Cinderella story. You love to see the teams like. So to me, I feel like that at least gives that small sliver that once every few years there might be a Cinderella that's going to have a chance to get up there. Did that not already happen two years ago with Cincinnati making it into the top four? Like, they won their conference. They earned it. They played a good out-of-conference schedule, and they were good enough to be in the top four. Like, I think if you're good enough out of the Sun Belt or whatever and you go undefeated against a – whatever your schedule is there, similar to Cincinnati, I think you're going to get in and get in in an at-large. And I think Cincinnati's kind of already proved that getting into the top four, getting into the CFP two years ago. So uh, that's just my thing. I think if it's a good enough special season, they'll be in the top 12. Um, well, and, they'll get an at-large. And, and I feel like, too, if we were having this conversation, I would have a totally different feeling if it was the number of teams getting in that was the equivalent of, say, for instance, in college basketball. You have 68 teams that make the NCAA tournament, but that's 20% of the teams in college basketball because there's 350 or so college basketball teams that are eligible. It's still over 20%, around 20% that make it to the playoff. In college football, you're still talking like 8% of the teams, even in a 12-team playoff, you're still only talking 8 to 9% of the teams, which is – by far the lowest in all of sports who will actually make the playoff. And I think that that's okay. If we were having this conversation, they're talking about let's have a 32 team playoff or something like that. We'd be on the same side of the boat because then it would completely devalue the regular season and it would completely destroy everything about the bowl season, like whatever remnants are left there. But I think to say, hey, we're going to have 8 to 9% get in, and we're going to make sure there's a small window to ensure that you have a chance for a Cinderella every year, I think that's all right. But that's just my take. I, I think 
Equally, though, it's a small window that some stupid team wins their conference and gets in once or twice every year and knocks out a, a more worthy... I, I just think it's a dumb way to decide. I, I think the Cinderella-ish teams, whatever, will get in on their on their you know perfect seasons or whatever from you know Boise in the past or like Cincinnati did a couple years ago. Um, I think it would happen at, as an at-large. I just don't want to lock in a, a a trash conference winner just because they won one game. And plus, they're all kind of decided differently. Conference champs are are, are not equal in in any stretch so anyways what about you doug doug I you've win. been listening intently you've got to have an opinion man what do you what do you think about this doug oh, putting you geez. on the spot <clears throat> uh honestly <laughs> i just want to see how it plays out and i'll make my opinion after that i don't i'm not fading one direct one direction or the other to be 100 real with you i'm a college football fan first um, I used to be a, you know, diehard Gator fan. They're still my team if I pick them, but not really having a specific team. I guess it, it is what it is for me. I'm just a diehard college football fan and I'll see how it plays out. Yeah. I just, I like seeing them trying to find ways to make the postseason of college football mean something and mean something more than one game. The number of guys that don't even take part in the postseason anymore to me is just laughable. It just It's almost like the NFL Pro Bowl. It just shows how much it doesn't mean to a college football athlete. And if you tell somebody, hey, you have an opportunity to play four more games of college football playoff, it means something. I think you're going to see guys potentially go and play in that playoff and not drop out. Whereas right now they're like, oh, you've got one bowl game. I'm going to go get ready for the NFL draft, and they just don't care. So I think it might be a way to get some of those guys to actually commit to an entirety of a playoff. Because who's going to play in the first round and not play in the second round? Or who's going to play in the first and second and not go play in the semi? So I think that that could be a residual effect as well. And I think it depends on what you value. So um, college football, yeah, there's 131, I guess, D1 schools now. They're not – they know – you know, Texas State, they know. They don't have a shot. When you commit there, they know. Their their recruiting's never gonna be similar or equal to Alabama or on par anywhere in the same book. So it is about Saturday. That's that's the, the peak of the college football season um for most teams, and I think that is okay to not be like the NFL where it's always about the playoff chase and where your seed is going to be in the NBA playoffs or whatever. Um, college football Saturdays are, are what's most important because every single game matters. Um, at least um, that's how it was. So we'll see how that shifts things potentially going into, um, you know, the playoff era where, hey, during our fantasy playoffs, I'd say it's highly likely within one to two years of the 12-team playoff that key players are getting rested um, before the playoff run. Um, That's true. That's true. That could, there could be a That's lot of there could be a lot of residual effects. You're right. Yeah. All right. With that being said, this past weekend we'll cover this really quick. This past weekend we had the NFL draft, and uh, I think we're probably going to end up doing an entire show on this at some point. But. Uh, um, in the, in, the, in the Debbie world, when you have your guys in college fantasy, you want to make sure that you've uh, picked guys that are going to be able to do something in the pros. Um, what were your guys' thoughts about where, just quickly, anybody off the top of your head that actually went to a good landing spot, um, guys that are in, are in a good position um, as they go into the NFL draft, or as they go into the NFL to be able to do make some noise? Man, from a GM standpoint, I think what the Falcons did is stupid. I love Bijan. He is going to kill it there for fantasy. It's like an elite position for him to be in. I think they re- they were like first in yards per carry. They they had they were like top 3 in all these like prime rushing statistics with their rookie that they had from last year with way less draft capital than the 8th pick of the draft and a bunch of other needs that they have on that team, but I, that's an elite landing spot for him in the first round. Um, 
the whole let's see let's see who else do we have going in the first round quentin johnston i think uh going to the chargers where they've got keenan allen um 31 32 years old and often injured um same with um oh no what's the other guy that they have on the uh williams um other receiver williams whatever i think johnston's gonna get mike williams yeah he's he's hurt a lot and uh johnston's gonna have an opportunity early on um and then jordan addison i think he's in a great spot to be that wide receiver two behind justin jefferson and lastly kincaid like mm-hmm. it couldn't be much of a better spot for Dalton kincaid than than the bills and that offense i think uh i think the lions have got a soft spot for dan campbell if you guys watched his uh watched him last year on uh the nfl preseason broadcast and whatnot dan campbell just a good guy i love being able to see him um be able to turn that team around um, I think that the Lions had a ridiculously good draft. Uh, the offensive talent they got, Jameer Gibbs, Sam Laporta, Hendon Hooker. Uh, I think those are all going to be really good spots for them in the future. Um, I think it gives Hooker a chance to be able to recover from his injury and uh, yep. potentially be able to, yep. to be somebody. And you're talking about a quarterback. They made a big deal about the three quarterbacks in the first four picks. But I think that Hendon Hooker being there uh, behind Goff, having a chance to heal up and learn <laughs> and become a part of that evolving offense it could be a great great spot for him can i give you the worst real quick before doug goes here Zach Ryan, what do you think was the what do you think was the worst landing spot in fantasy Zach football charbonnet for seattle man goes in the second round so good draft capital there but then he's going um you know in a in a timeshare um what really sucks in our league is that mike davis has both of those running backs for Seattle. So he, he had like a great, a great fantasy asset uh, in college, great fantasy asset in the pros. And now they're both watered down a lot for him. So not going to shed any tears for Mike Davis, but it does suck. <laughs> so Doug, what are your thoughts when you have, and it doesn't have to be anything deep. It's just, Hey, when you remember thinking about the draft last weekend, you're like, Oh, I like the position of that guy or position of that and- guy. What are the things that stuck out to you? The number one. Oh, Rasheed Rice. Thanks for asking me again. Rasheed Rice. Exactly what I was just going to say. In the second round. But I didn't let you. Because Brian likes to get his voice heard all the time. And, you know, (laughs) that's why he runs a podcast, man. I mean, the Brian show, but it's fine. And I know I was was gone last week, so it's fine. Cut me off a couple of times, whatever. But my my number one was going to be Rasheed Rice for sure going to Kansas City. I mean, they've got Tony, but he's got hamstrings that are made of silly string so we'll see what happens there but um i liked uh luke shoemaker going to dallas without them having a tight end to really go to there i think the michigan tight end could potentially be um really good um one of the puzzling ones for me and i guess you know we'll see what happens there but was um Oh, Kendra Miller going to um, the Saints. That could be great for him, though. I'm I'm not sure how I feel about it. I know, you know, they're they're kind of in a rebuilding phase. I know Kamara has some off the field issues sometimes, things like that. But we'll see what happens there. But one of the other ones that I really liked was around three pick um, was uh, Tank Dell going to the Rams. Yes, I think that could be a really good. Mm-hmm. A really good spot for him. Um, in agreement with you. As there. long as as long as they get their just general offensive issues figured out, I think Tank Dell could be a really positive route runner, just a positive addition to that team for sure. Yep. Well, this will probably be the only time in the CFBDynasty.com College Fantasy Football podcast that I'll ever be able to say anything about this guy. But the best named dude in the entire draft. Drafted by the Cowboys, round three, pick 27, linebacker DeMarvion Overshone. That is a name right there, man. You got it. That's the all name team right there. DeMarvion Overshone. <laughs> DeMarvion Overshone. And, uh, like and, and I will say this as a, as a Miami Dolphin fan, true, true and true. Um, 
I can't stand seeing the Patriots or the Bills or the Jets pick guys that I really like and uh, seeing my boy Israel Abana can to go to the Jets after <laughs> after the Jets got my boy, my running back from NC State last year. I'm like, come on, New York. I think that the Jets are uh, putting together a really solid team. I am not as high on the Aaron Rodgers going to New York uh, thing as everybody else is after the way that the Packers were the last year or so. But I feel like they are making all the moves. They got made some great moves on defense last year, great moves on offense this year. I think as much as I hate to say it, I think that uh, the Jets are clearly going to be the number, the third best team in the in the AFC East this year, um, well, far and above the Patriots. And then you're going to have the Dolphins in two and the Bills at one. Um, I do love the fact that the Dolphins got A-Chain B-Mac. I thought about you when the Dolphins made that pick, I actually was predicting, I'm like, Oh, can we get a chain at this pick? Because I know how much you've liked. I, I know how much you loved uh, a chain in college and, and the dolphins are continuing to try and make the, uh, the track team. They've got four of the fastest guys in the entire NFL on that squad. Dude, yeah. well, They're going to be fun to watch. Yeah, for yeah. sure. They're going to be fun to watch. I traded uh, a chain last year to, to get, Milro as a handcuff for Bryce Young when he was down, and I love Milro's talent. But now they've got uh, five like former four plus uh, <laughs> star quarterbacks. No idea what's going to happen there. Uh, I guess lastly for the draft, I, I am excited to kind of see how that Jags backfield takes place. I really like Tank's, Tank Bigsby a lot, and they took him too, in the buddy. third round to excited see him too. up against Travis CTN. Um, it's going to be interesting because Tank's a beast. Um, he's really good. He's been playing for a struggling Auburn team. We saw what happened with Bo Nix um, taking off. I think Tank was uh, undervalued. I think I think he can be really good. There's there's a lot of people who are already saying that could potentially be a really scary one-two punch no matter what um, with ETN and Tank there. So that could be super fun to watch. Um, my last thing on the draft is – and this is kind of a fantasy uh, purposeful thing for me, is I got a little excited when I saw that DTR went to Cleveland because I think there's still a whole bunch of unknown with uh, with Watson and what he can he's actually going to do there. And I think, you know, playing style-wise, they're kind of similar. If they've been building the team in that direction, I think DTR could be a good, fun fit there for me fantasy-wise. So... That's my last thing on the draft. But, yeah, I got excited when I saw that DTR was drafted to the Browns because, you know, I know their history with quarterbacks hasn't been the greatest, but we'll see what direction that team is trending. So, I think the other thing, too, is that uh, as, as fans, we get caught up in who's going in the first, who's going in the second. Um, but that's not always where your stars are going to be. Look at Isaiah Pacheco uh, for the Chiefs last year. Um, you look at the guys that come out as free agents um, and there's always some guys that don't get drafted that don't make any sense. Muhammad Ibrahim not getting drafted just blows my mind. Um, he's in a good landing spot. Uh, Jalen Moreno Cropper from Fresno State uh, signed with the Cowboys and there's a lot of talk about him going there. Um, so just because you have guys that don't get drafted, that doesn't mean that they're not going to have any chance to be able to do something in the pros. So uh, I think there's a lot of guys that signed as UDFAs that have a chance to really do some, make some noise. Maybe not first half of the, of the first season they're there, but I feel like somebody like Ibrahim um, going where he did could be a, a serious one-two punch up there in, uh, in Detroit. Yep. That being said, we are already halfway through the show. We haven't even gotten to the topic at hand, which is the preseason rankings for the top 25 wide receivers. We had to make a quick change right before the show came on, Doug. It actually has refreshed on the site. Um, so it's actually showing up now for you there, man. Perfect. So we're going to go through the top 25. We're going to do exactly what we've done for the last few weeks. We're going to talk about this in chunks, starting at 25, moving upwards. So without further ado, 25 to 21, you got a Rondé Gadsden Jr., the second from Syracuse. Antonio Williams for Clemson at 24. Antoine Wells for South Carolina. You got Joshua Cephas at UTSA. And then number 21, Michael Sturdivant from UCLA at 21. BMAC, Doug, who do you want to call out in that group from 21 to 25? Um, my my favorite, and I've said this every week, is going to be Sturdivant on that group. Um, 
I think Cephas has the potential to be even higher, especially with the uh, transfer announcement a couple days ago, um, which we'll talk about him here in a little bit. But um, my favorite from that group is still Sturdivant. He's got the size. He's just showed what he can do as a freshman, and I think he's got better potential in UCLA. So he's probably my favorite from that group. I think yeah. Gadsden's really good. Obviously, great size. And um, he's going to be a, a, a solid Devi target. Um, and we'll see if he can improve and, and maximize his, his fantasy upside. I really like Antonio Williams and what he could potentially be in that Clemson offense. Um, we'll see if, if he gets favored or if the new OC might favor um receivers a little differently um and with a, a new offensive scheme so um it's going to be interesting to see if he can build on that last year where he was really great as a freshman great speed great hands um and then we've got wells there um and cephas yeah i think cephas can potentially be really good utsa last year as we were going through the season the rankings you know matt and i were always talking about you know, Cephas and Clark and Franklin, all these UTSA guys were oddly consistent. And, um, you know, some of them could have their blow-up games. And with Sakari Franklin entering the portal, um, uh, Doug told me he's visiting Georgia this week. Or, I mean, sorry, Oregon this week. No, he, it hasn't which, been said which, that he's visiting, but there's a lot of rumors going around because the former OC is now the OC at Oregon. Mm. So, and apparently they still are very active with each other on Twitter. So, who knows? Yeah, in that mm. in that group, so. the one that that is the most uh, interesting to me is, is Aronde Gadsden. Um, Syracuse last year started off the season hot, and then they absolutely got a flat tire. Um, but the Clem- they got to the Clemson game, and Syracuse just was not the same uh, after the second half of that Clemson game, and and all of their offensive production players, you know, pretty much tanked. Uh, after that point. So uh, will Aronde Gadsden be able to get back to the, the level that got him into some national prominence before that? Uh, he's a great receiver, great hands, just like his dad. Um, so it'd be interesting to see if he can uh, rise up the rankings there a little bit. Definitely. All right. So, yep. so moving on to 20 through 16, starting at number 20, Tony Franklin from Oregon. Number 19, Jerron Bradley from Texas Tech. 18, Xavier Worthy at Texas. 17, Jordan Curley from SMU. And at 16, Sam Wiggles from Ohio, from the Bobcats. Who do you guys want to call out in that 20 to 16 group? Oh, man. Um, There's a couple. Um, I like Troy Franklin. I've liked him since I drafted him in college. I could see him, you know, being even higher than 20 by the time the season's over, depending on you know, if Bo Nix has another good season or if it was, you know, a fluke, there's a lot of people that are still kind of iffy about Bo Nix. But um, I think it really just depends on the, the quarterback play and the offensive line there and see what, seeing what they can do. But, man, I'm I'm a fan of Curley, I think, on this list for SMU. If he can stay healthy, I think he's got all the tools to help SMU pick up right where they left off. I like Curley a lot. I, I can't disagree. I think Curly Curly's got elite elite potential here, but I'm ready to get hurt again. All right, give me a healthy Xavier Worthy and Texas um, with uh, with Quinn Ewers. I, I think they're ready to break out, but will they? I, that's I been the, like Texas always loves to say they're back, but are they really? We'll see. I hope there's a different um, receiver we'll in that Texas spot, but you know. <laughs> that is the thing though like worthy is uh gonna stretch the field he's gonna get a lot of deep balls and he's also a, a slot target so i think he's pretty safe there can be other texas receivers up there they are loaded at receiver for sure I'm just hoping and, my uh, guy comes back this year off injury and maybe makes that top 25 he could. So, uh, so t- he could. tell everybody out there why you have that Ohio receiver ranked so high. That's a name that you and I never talked about at all last year, BMAC. Why do you have him so high up there as a senior? Yeah, I mean, he's solid. He's He's got uh, 
He's going to be wide receiver one there in a solid offense and uh, 14 and a half fantasy points uh, last year. Um, I, th- I think that's just uh, going to improve this year and his, his last year of college football. All right, so moving on, let's go to 15 down to 11. At 15, you got Dorian Singer from USC at 14. One of Doug's favorite guys in all of college football, Squirrel White at Tennessee. At 13, you've got Jamari Thrash from Louisville. At 12, you've got Jalen McMillan from Washington. And then at 11, Matthew Golden from Houston. Who do you guys want to call out in that group? Go ahead, B. So Singer is a tough one because you don't really know who's going to take over out of that USC uh, receiver core. So we'll see. Um, but, But he, as a true freshman at Arizona, averaged almost 15 a game. And, uh, you know, in that USC offense, if he becomes the lead guy, uh, he's got potential to be higher. Squirrel White, um, he's going to be featured deep. He's going to be featured in the middle of the field, like all over the place. So I like White, whereas, you know, he's not the red zone target Brew McCoy is. Um, He's going to get plenty of deep shots in that Tennessee offense. Um, And you saw it in the bowl game. If you didn't watch the highlights, we posted uh, a Joe Milton highlights um, just showing him off in in that bowl game with all the graduated receivers didn't even play. So you get to see a little preview of what this Tennessee offense is going to be like in 2023. And Squirrel White had a heck of a game. Um, Don't want to base it all on one game. And, uh, but I think he's going to be really good. And, and McMillan, Washington, um, they're super good. But I like Gordy's Gordy's boy, Matthew Golden. Great draft pick by Gordy last year. Kind of a surprisingly early selection in our draft. And uh, had some foresight because now, like the guy you called out earlier, Tank Dell being gone, and that Houston offense, we don't exactly know who the quarterback's going to be, but we know who the coach is, and they're going to throw it around and Golden's going to be wide receiver one, could totally be higher by the time the season comes around. Agreed. Yeah, and Matt, you kind of called me out. Obviously, I'm I'm going to go with Squirrel White on this list. I mean, hey, I'm listening, man. I'm paying attention. You you love some Squirrel White, man. If I have if I have if I don't know that, I haven't been listening to the last. You few are shows, man. you are 100 correct. I mean, the the problem is not... other people in our league are listening to this too, <laughs> which is fine. Um, you know the. He's not the biggest dude. Um, I think he's five late, listed at five ten, like one seventy or something. But obviously, we've seen in, especially in college football, that that doesn't really tend to matter too much sometimes. Um, but just that Tennessee offense in general, I don't think it's a fluke that you know the receivers tend to be open. It feels like eighty five percent of the time, and. I feel like Squirrel White's one of those receivers that's going to benefit and be open 85% of the time. Um, and they have said that his spring this year has been incredible. So um, we'll see what happens, but he's definitely uh, my pick. And just for name purposes too, I mean, come on, dude. How can you not root for somebody with a nickname Squirrel? Um, so, you know, but I think uh, – I think he's probably my pick in this list. Just like I said, and just the Tennessee offense alone makes him exciting to an exciting prospect to watch. I wish we had like a little squirrel sound, whatever that would be uh, that we could play when we mentioned squirrel white. It's it's a weird sound. I don't even know what it is and I'm not going to try it. So. (laughs) All right. With that being said, we're going to move on. Now we're going to go from 10 all the way to six. At uh, 10, you got Derwin Burgess. <clears throat> At 9, you got Tory Horton. At 8, UTSA DeCorian Clark moves all the way up to 8. At 7, you got Jacob Cowing. At 6, you get the TBD of Zachary Franklin. The reason why Zachary Franklin has that TBD is the reason why DeCorian Clark goes all the way up to 8. Let's talk about this craziness um, in this group from 10 to 6. Uh, rankings changing quickly because of that like i said we had to make some some changes right before we got on this show because of transfers and things of that nature so bmac doug why do you feel that decorian clark jumps all the way up to eight and also as the tack onto that 
how are you able to leave Zachary Franklin at six with the TBD when we don't even know where he's going? What if he goes to a spot that doesn't suit him well? What if he makes a bad decision there? Yeah, we'll just move him. We've seen players hop in the portal and then hop back to their to their team. Um, so we'll see if he's a if he's a dipper or a flipper, as they say. Um, but the reason, let's see, we've got. Clark up there at 16 and a half fantasy points per game. You would take that, right, on your fantasy team you uh, all day long yeah, as a wide yeah. receiver, too. But the wide receiver, one, going into the portal, averaging 18 a game, vacating 18 fantasy points a game and all the targets and uh, receptions and touchdowns that come along with it. I mean, you're just going to see uh, Clark and Joshua Cephas kind of take that on. So, I mean, that's the reason Clark is up there. He could be higher. Um, and Zachary Franklin's just, it's a wait and see. Let's see where he lands and then and then we'll move him around. I didn't want to just take him off the list because he's a great talent. And if he comes back, you know, it, it might be a little stock down for Clark. But um, Franklin is visiting FSU this week. Um, be a major stock down if, if that's the case. Yeah, um... That UTSA could uh, receiver room could be interesting to watch. You know, I, I mean, we were talking about Brian. You were talking about eighteen fantasy points going bye bye, and their number two averaged sixteen, and their number three averaged almost fourteen. So, you know, <laughs> potentially splitting another eighteen points, you know, a game between two people. If you do the math correctly, you could have two guys darn near twenty if you really wanted to if that offense operates the same, but, you know, I expect a, a young guy to come in and take some shares, you know, um, maybe somebody that stands out for them in the spring. But the Corian Clark to me, potentially arguably could have been a wide receiver one somewhere else last year. So <clears throat> I can expect him to be a wide receiver one this year. Um, and man, we, we've got a couple of smaller schools on here, but, Derwin Burgess is is interesting to me. Um, we'll we'll see how he does. Just in some film that I've watched, he's looked really good, and we'll see how that offense works. But uh, Burgess could be fun this year to watch too. Yeah, I think uh, we've got to give a little love to the consistency from Jacob Cowing and him returning to Arizona. Be uh, easily the guy this year, um, but he went. Uh, he had 31 receptions at UTEP as a freshman, 41 as a sophomore, 69 receptions at UTEP, 1,300 yards and seven touchdowns as a junior, and then I keep saying junior, sophomore, like that matters. Whatever his fourth season yeah. at Arizona, um, 85 catches, thousand yards, seven touchdowns. And not shocked if it goes up because of Singer, you know, flipping over to USC. Yep. Um, Jacob Cowing is is elite elite in terms of college football production and, and a great fantasy starter every week, no matter who they play. Thank you, sir. All right. So now we're going to go up and we're going to talk about the next three, five, four, and three. At five, you got a Mecca Egbuka from Ohio State. At four, you got Roma Dunze from Washington, which is the second Washington receiver we've seen in the top 12. At three, you got Devontae Walker from North Carolina. Let's talk about these three guys and why you guys have them in that top five section. So we mentioned Washington uh, having two in the top 12, and I don't see that changing this year. They haven't had much change on offense, and <laughs> the biggest change that they haven't had is the number one quarterback in yards thrown last year and he's coming back so um the only thing that you would like to see from these two and i'll go with rome because that's kind of who we're talking about now but is maybe some more touchdown production as opposed to just yards because a lot of their points i believe have come from big yards games um but if they can get a lot more touchdowns in in their passing numbers these two guys could both be potentially top 10 so um, their offense just hasn't changed much. And then Tez Walker, North Carolina, uh, yeah, he's he's going to be good. 
um, I don't have any doubt that he's not going to be, if not still three by the time this year is over, uh, <laughs> probably top five in my opinion. He's he's yeah. going to be good. Really simply, Josh Downs out. Tez Walker's going to step in. Bigger, bigger receiver, better <laughs> red zone target for Drake May. And, um, you know, you think Drake may probably be uh, top three pick in the draft next year. Um, and Tez is going to be his top receiver. You got to love that position uh, for the transfer there. All right. So let's move up to number two. So number two. Got Malachi Corey from Western Kentucky. So I'll take this one to start. So the best thing that happened to Malachi Corley was their uh, quarterback coming back, went into the portal, came back. Um, Western Kentucky has put out some good quarterbacks, even some NFL caliber quarterbacks um, in the last couple of years. But especially with a school like that, um, that well is only going to be there for so long. It's going to dry out at some point. Um, it's, it's just a cycle that happens all the time. So to have Austin Reed coming back um, and having there be some consistency there is incredibly huge for Malachi Corley. Um, we talked about this on previous shows. The biggest thing for Corley is going to be, um, will Western Kentucky's offense be able to start to focus on a few less receivers? Um, if you watched any Western Kentucky games last year, which I watched, surprisingly, I watched a lot. Um, <laughs> they could have like eight or nine different receivers over the course of a couple of games that would get multiple targets, multiple receptions. And so you could have some games where Corley went completely berserk. Um, like last year, he went berserk in the week zero game, which doesn't do anybody in fantasy any good at all. Ugh, but uh, he started off the season hot. But there were some games where he disappeared, not because he wasn't there, not because he wasn't getting targets, but because they just spread the ball all over the place to so many receivers. So if they can get some more targeted targets to somebody like him, he could stay in that top two spot. Is that what your feelings are? Is that why you guys have him at their number two? Is there something else that has him in that yeah, spot? Yeah, and for the, you second, guys? the second receiver is gone. So, yeah, to kind of underscore exactly what you're saying there, um, his, his opening game against App State, five catches, 61 yards, three touchdowns. And then the next week against Hawaii where they put up 49 points, he goes four catches, 12 yards, no touchdowns. So that's the kind of volatility that you don't want. But um, he's pretty much that, – that was his low point of the season. He's pretty much uh, uh, a start every week, no matter who they play, because of the upside and because of that offense. So you got to like that. And um, I think he'll he'll clearly be – wide receiver one this year ended the season super strong. So the last um, let's go over the last, whatever, six or eight games here. He, he went 11 catches, 10, five, eight, six, six, 12, eight, 11. So um, overall you're going to take that and hope just for a few more touchdowns. Especially when you have a league that's got PPR, which pretty much every league nowadays should be PPR. Um, yep. If you've got a half point, if you've got a full point, on those receptions, you are getting some crazy points out of Malachi Corley just because yep. of the number of targets coming his way. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I mean, you got a one last thing too. You got a quarterback that averages, I believe he averaged like 51 pass attempts a game or something. I mean, that's all <laughs> Western Kentucky does is just sling the football. So, yeah. you know, it's <clears throat> he's got the potential to to haul in a lot of targets, like you said, BMAC, with the number two guy being gone and and hopefully, like you said too, Matt, you know, with maybe them targeting somebody a little bit more frequently than, but at the end of the day, they score points, they spread the ball around. I think receivers there could be beneficial for anybody, really. Yep. Absolutely. All right. So, Doug, you ready to give us a little drum roll on the desk here so we can show off number one? Ready. All right. So, number one should be a surprise to nobody out there Marvin Harrison, Ohio State. Was this the, how about this? Here's the question for you guys. Which number one was the easiest for you guys to slot in? Was it the number one quarterback, number one running back, or number one wide receiver? Which one was the easiest call to say this guy is number one? For me? Running back's the hardest to me. I'd say for but, me, probably this. Probably this I one. I don't know. Caleb Williams is pretty easy. 
I, I, I okay. We <laughs> we still differ on certain things. I think Williams could get jumped, but um, he's gonna get jumped. I think he could potentially get jumped. Yes, but um, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's from maybe a North Carolina quarterback. Um, or even uh, Oregon quarterback with all the weapons they have, but yeah, I, I think Marvin Harrison was was the easiest. Are you going like NCAA video game mode on us? You can't say the name. You're just you're just saying Oregon quarterback instead of okay. Bo Nix. Bo Nix. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, but uh, I think Marvin Harrison was the easiest. He's I still believe Ohio State would have been in a different position. <laughs> we talked about playoffs and stuff um, at the end of the season if he wouldn't have got hurt in that game. Um, mm-hmm. So he showed yep. what he was doing against a defense like, you know, Georgia. <laughs> and <laughs> he doesn't play defenses like that. So mm-hmm. um, showing what he could do against them compared to the defenses he plays against every week, I don't. I don't think this was a hard decision at all. So totally agree. Easy decision. Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, he'll be a top five pick in the draft next year. Like he's he's just so good. It doesn't even matter who's playing quarterback for them. Like he's going to get his. Yeah, they're already saying potentially one of the most complete receivers in the last ten years. I mean, yeah. Just look, at his pe- look, just look at his pedigree, of course. If, I was going to say, if he's anything like his dad, you're not missing out. So, I mean, <laughs> come on. Yeah, now. this part is weird, Matt. I got to be honest. Like, yeah, I've known you. We've been friends for quite a while. It's weird having these <clears throat> juniors come across the sons of the people uh, we used to talk about and draft forever ago. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I Absolutely. just saw an interesting one the other day. Uh I mean, he's not really a fantasy guy because he's on defense, but Brian Erlacher's son is now playing in college. Like, that's some crazy that's stuff. Weird. Joey Joey Porter <laughs> Jr., Troy Vincent Jr. Drafted. I mean, these are guys that were around when me and BMAC started playing fantasy together. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So Marvin Harrison uh, is going to be a force. So, so yep. I, I think one of the Easy. most interesting things, if you look at this list in comparison to the running backs and quarterbacks – we talked about at the beginning of this show, SEC domination, SEC this, SEC that, all the people they put into the draft. This just goes to show that wide receiver is probably the most volatile position in college fantasy sports. There are only, correct me if I'm wrong, two wide receivers mm-hmm. out of the SEC that make this initial top 25, and they don't even get in until 14. The SEC is very down this year when it comes to preseason rankings, when it comes to wide receivers. Will it stay that way? Probably not, uh, because you're going to have guys that are going to jump into the rankings as the season goes in. But you look at the schools that have got wide receivers in here, you've only got Tennessee and South Carolina. Other than that, the SEC is out when it comes to the uh, top 25, unless I miss somebody. And I just think that goes to show that um, fantasy sports, getting a good college fantasy roster does not always equate to the best teams does not always equate to equate to uh, to Debbie as well. Yeah, and you'll see some of them in our Debbie rankings. That's next, I think. So we're gonna hit combined tight ends into this one real quick, right? And just maybe go over just a, a, a line or two of the the tight end rankings without kind of going through all of them. Hey, that's not in my contract um, to do that. Oh my goodness, we're <laughs> jumping over the tight ends. We're, we're packing a lot into this show, packing a lot in. Yeah, let's just pack it in. We've got 15 live on the site. Matt, if you want to yep, run I'm there. through them. Um, I'm um, there. So as a bonus segment, bonus <laughs> segment, we're going to talk about not only the NFL draft, not only the, uh, the college football playoff, not only wide receivers, we are going to throw in tight ends today. So this is the biggest podcast ever in the history of cfpdynasty.com let's go on over to tight ends it's only because right, we're, so we're a show behind so here we go all right so we're just going to quickly cover uh we got the 15 top 15 we're going to quickly cover 15 through 6 in this first yep. group you got jaheem bell from florida state at 15 benjamin jerosic from stanford at 14 
Brevin Span Ford from Minnesota at 13. Theo Johnson, Penn State at 12. It's at Corey Dykes, uh, yep. Maryland at 11. Jalen Conyers from New Mexico at 10. Luke Lachey from Iowa at 9. <clears throat> Caden Priestcorn from Ole Miss at 8. C.J. Dupree from Alabama at 7. Cade Stover, Ohio State at 6. Who in there do you guys want to call out to? If you're somebody that is a fantasy football player, there's not a lot of names in there that you've probably heard of right now. There was a ton of tight ends that came out into the NFL draft this year. That's and, a lot of new names in there this year. And a lot of transfers at the tight end position this year too. Um, I, I think you got to like number nine. you got to like what Iowa does at tight end. It feels like every year. Um, they may not have the best offense in the world, uh, which they definitely don't, but their tight ends always seem to to find a way to just keep playing. So Iowa produces some really good tight ends. Um, Bell at FSU could be really fun. Um, I don't really know what they're going to do because they got another good tight end recruit there. But um, I'm I'm definitely a fan of the Iowa tight end uh, for Luke. I think he's I think he's going to be one to watch. Yeah, and the only thing I wanted to call out is Jalen Conyers. He's at Arizona State. I don't know why the the wrong logos there. We'll figure that one out. But Conyers yep. is having a great spring. Had some good highlights that I've seen come across uh, Twitter. So uh, that's really it. We can get to the top five. All right. So in top five, uh, this one here, I think that the number one we get there is probably the easiest out of <laughs> – Quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends. Probably. Uh, but you got at five, SMU, RJ Maryland. Um, you got Bryson Nesbitt for North Carolina. Jatavian Sanders for Texas at three. Uh, Brant Kuthe at for Utah at two. And then you got Brock Bowers. Easiest pick for number one out of all four at number one. Let's talk about those top five. Why do you guys have those guys up as high as you do? Is it a... Is it because they've impressed you, or because there's just a lot of uh, a lot of void, a lot of vacuum there from the guys that left? They, they're just impressive tight ends in general. Um, like go with Brant Cuthy, for example, out of Utah. I mean, he was expected to be the guy at Utah. It got you know battled injuries and stuff, but even when he played, he still looked good. So, um, I, I he's going to be filling that. Kincaid void and I think he's just as good as anybody else to be able to fill that void there um yeah Keithy was a starter you know crushed it yeah. against Florida early on in the season was averaging 17 fantasy points a game he was right there with Bowers in points per game for fantasy because Utah loves to use the tight end and um so yeah I like Keithy there a lot yep and um, I think same goes for Sanders at three like Brian mentioned it earlier with uh Ewers and hopefully that you know they get their their offense on track. But a second year with Ewers, I, I think the receiving and tight end room in general could be much better this year at Texas. Yeah, and then and then Bowers is easy, like you said, Matt. So um, super consistent, and he's been an elite fantasy player his whole college career uh, at tight end. So he'll be another first round pick next year in the draft and uh although he's gonna have a new quarterback you know they look to be in good hands i, I think um i think bowers is is just so elite he's gonna get his and um love him easily and i think he'll be will he go in first rounds of drafts this year um in fantasy even it's, redraft yeah. leagues maybe redraft he gives you an advantage maybe yeah I think yeah, look, look I think at, you have to. At, a tight end uh, that puts up better receivers than mo or better point numbers than most receivers. I think you have to. Honestly, I yeah. think that both of those top two have a possibility of going super high because let's yeah. let's let's be real here. Utah's tight end was the starter over Kincaid. He would have been the starter over Kincaid if he doesn't get injured. And Kincaid goes as high as he does in the NFL draft as somebody who was a backup last year. He was a next man up. Mm -hmm. So this is the guy that was starting over Kincaid. That dude's a talent. Now, how is he going to recover from that injury? Who knows? Yeah. But if this is a guy that was starting over Kincaid before that injury and Kincaid went as high as he did, he could be putting up 
some big numbers with a quarterback that's coming back as well. Um, I think there's some big things can be coming out of that Utah tight end room. Yep. Look at the difference in points per game earned if you take Bowers or Keithy versus if you have like one of the bottom of the tight end ones. Um, That's like a seven fantasy points per game advantage. I don't think you can necessarily get that. Um, And it's certainly easier to make up that fantasy points per game um, advantage like at running back or receiver. Like I think Keithy or Bowers or potentially both uh, worthy of a look late in the first round. So let me ask you this on that tight end list. What about Nesbitt with – Really, North Carolina, the only receiver that they that you know they have for sure is Tez. Do you think he yeah. could put up 15, 16, 17 points a game? If he gets the amount of targets, yes. Um, it's to be seen. He averaged uh, 10.5 fantasy points last year. Um, I, I don't know if the offense is going to lean so heavy on tight end like, like Georgia or Utah. So... We'll see, but I, I definitely the talents there and the uh, the the quarterback, um, you, know, you know, Drake May's ability is, is certainly there. So right. there's really high potential. Um, I wouldn't say it's probable that he'll get up there in that 17 points per game range, though. All right, so there you go. We talked about wide receivers and tight ends today. We snuck that in. <laughs> so. Um, before we go today, you guys have anything else you want to talk about? I got two quick things out of the ordinary that I want to just really quick throw in at the end here. Um, so, BMAC, I know you're going to get this thing edited really quick. You're going to get this up by Friday. We're recording this uh, midweek. Um, if you guys are listening to this, um, one of the other things that I do, I write comics. That's what I do most of the time during the day. This Saturday, the first Saturday in May, nationally, is called Free Comic Book Day. If you go to any comic book store in the country basically they're going to have certain titles that are out there that just by you walking in the door you could go pick up a copy or five copies or ten issues for absolutely nothing so um you can go out there everybody likes to get free stuff so you can go out there you can get some cool titles go into your local comic book shop most of them are going to have personalities out there writers artists doing other things for free uh selling their stuff i'll be at bearded brown coat comics and games in ocala florida uh, Steph, who's my counterpart at Insymmetry Creations, hashtag Team Insym, is going to be at a store in uh, Visalia, California, Collector's Choice. But literally, you can go across the country anywhere, and you're going to be able to find some comic writers, some artists that are going to do cool stuff for you. So get yourself out there and go get yourself some cool free stuff. The other thing I want to say, which is something that blew my mind yesterday, one of the other things I do, I am a the PA announcer, the, the in-stadium MC for the Villages SC USL League 2 uh, soccer team. Uh, getting ready to have their summer season for USL League Two. Last night, they unveiled their new uniforms for this year. If you've not seen these uniforms, you want to check them out. What they did was, for these new uniforms, they've got silhouettes all over the uniforms of pictures from fans and personalities from all over their last few seasons. And literally, right beside the, right on their chest, you can clearly tell, they even pointed out in their video, I am on their jersey. <laughs> I am on the freaking That's jersey. Awesome. I blew my mind. The Villages SC has got probably a hundred players, fans, staff, whatever on the jersey, but I am in a prominent position on the chest <laughs> right there on the Villages SC game day jersey this year. That blows my freaking mind. What an insane original concept. Doug Bryan, what do you think about that? How cool is that? That is, that is sweet, super dude. cool, man. That's pretty sweet. Hey, I actually walked into uh, – I was in Charleston, South Carolina. Actually, on the way to Charleston, we were in Savannah, Georgia for uh, lunch and walked into a comic shop because, uh, yeah, my kid likes Sonic, and there was a bunch of Sonic stuff there, so I was checking it out. And then I ran into these, uh, these old video games. <laughs> they had a bunch of these old college football video games. So I posted about it and showed it on a, on TikTok and Instagram Reels. You can follow us there. It would be awesome if you guys subscribe to us. That's a, That means a lot to us. But, uh, yeah, the video games are cool. I'm going to try and figure out a way to get these uh, old college football video games up on the wall very soon. Yeah, that's that's a good point, too, because most, most of these comic stores nowadays, it's not just comics. It's pop culture stuff. It's 
it's Funko Pops, it's video games, it's games, it's old consoles, it's the stuff that you used to play that's been refurbished mm -hmm. and, and reconditioned so you can go get a brand new, you know, NES system there. It's been yeah, uh, they were all like refurbished. Five, eight bucks too. I picked up like yeah. eight old college football games. That is that is pretty wild. So I feel like we've had a really good show, Doug. Really glad to have you back this week Thanks, after buddy. the after the unscheduled Manny Petty from last week. Um, looking forward to next week's show. Uh, BMAC, what is next week's show going to be on? We're going Debbie quarterbacks next week. And that's going to be exciting. interesting to see because if you're someone like what we do in, in a CFB Dynasty in the home league, um, you're not just drafting for um, your college season. You're drafting because you want to have guys that can get you college points but also can – can be studs on the pro side. So you're going to see some rankings that are going to be a little bit different um, when you go from seasonal to, to Devi. And that's going to be, be fun because that's something where um, a lot of the guys like in our league or, or an MVP pro, uh, the other local league that I'm in, um, that's going to be a lot where the guys are going to focus. Cause you need to make sure that you've got guys that are going to translate over. We just had the NFL draft. My team did not have a whole lot of guys that got drafted this year. That's going to hurt. There's other guys that had eight to nine guys that are going on to their pro team. So uh, you got to make sure you're drafting to restock that pro team or you're uh, you're in some trouble. So I got to see what I can do. I got to keep some trades and to be able to go get some, get some, some good value from people. I can't trade the BMAC because he doesn't have a lot of pro value. Uh, maybe I go to Doug and see about if I can get some people from Doug's team. I don't know. Doug has some <laughs> pro value. Doug's got some, <laughs> you know, a guy all, right, well, that is it. all the time. You better, you better. Well, that is it for the CFEDynasty.com, a fantasy football podcast this week. On behalf of Brian McElfresh and Doug Gravely, my name is Matt Knowles. We thank you guys for watching and listening. See ya. See y'all.